This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. Ensuring a brighter, bolder future means investing in tomorrow, today. That's why Apollo is financing solutions to some of the world's most complex challenges. Learn more at Apollo.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Sheila Galati, who is the CEO of Tola Capital, a venture capital firm that invests in software and AI. Sheila, nice to see you. Great to be here. Thank you, Andy. So you've been interested in AI for quite some time. What is it that attracted you to this field? Well, you know, AI is a multi-decade overnight success. Right. And I like to say that my tech journey began when I was actually eight years old. And my, my dad started a software company out of our house at that time. And my mom soon after went to work there. So I've been around software for many decades. And the nice thing is, you know, when you grow up in a software company, you do every job there. Excited about software. I love that. But what about AI, though, specifically, Sheila? Because Tola does enterprise software. You could have done consumer. But you saw the promise of AI early on, as you say. What was it? So for me, AI is we are actually printing intelligence. Right? We are taking the capability of saying this thing that we hold so dear that we spend our lives chasing and we're looking for smart insights and smart in people, but now we can actually create this. We can code intelligence. And so that coding of intelligence completely changes how the world works, the productivity of each of us, but then at its logical kind of endpoint, it's infinite productivity. So if you can think, and it's, it's actually hard to get your brain wrapped around this concept of, hey, what would I do with infinite productivity? We've always thought of the world as a set of scarce resources. But the reality is, now that we think of this infiniteness of our productivity, I can have an infinite number of Sheilas working all the time on different topics in different areas. What would I do with that? For me, it's just a complete reimagining of how we work, and that's very, very enticing and exciting. I don't know, there's so many things potentially that sound dystopian. I don't know, infinite productivity or sounds dystopian. Well, okay, they're similar words. They're, they're flip sides of the coin, right? And so infinite productivity, what could possibly go wrong with that? Or what could possibly go right with that? Meaning that machines could do all the work and then we don't have to do anything? Is that what you mean, for instance? I, I, think, I think that there are scenarios where we want to have uh, AI doing a set of work that bolsters humans into the next level of human creativity, human productivity, right? As directed by humans in most cases there. But, but the reality is, yes, I actually think we do want a society where more work is able to be created and completed, and that can be done through, through programming that work to happen. Right. So I, and, but I agree with you. A lot of the world sort of jumps into this, hey, this is dystopian. We should be afraid of these machines. I sort of sit on, at the point of agree, right? There, there are reasons to be concerned, and we can talk a lot about responsible AI and other things that we care a lot about at TOLA. But the reality of it is just the, the other side of that coin is what society do we want? How do we create that society? This gives us the opportunity to have more equity in the world. It gives us the opportunity to have more intelligence, more broadly distributed in the world. Those are very good things. Right. Another sort of facet of this, though, is you know, job loss versus job creation. Everyone always says, oh, this new technology is going to lead to job losses. The technologists come back and say, look at all the jobs it's created. Both things are true, of course. Both things are true. But are the new jobs a, attainable for enough people, and B, do they create jobs that are meaningful? 
there's different categories of this, I think. So category A is you, how do you do your job and how do you leverage AI to do your job? So there's, there's a good saying, you may not be replaced by AI, but you might be replaced by a human that uses AI in a great way to f further their work, right? So that's an important element of how do we help people in their jobs think about the uses and leverage points of AI, so increasing their productivity. There's another category of jobs that I do think get displaced. And the long arc of history shows us, yes, this is great for society, this is great for progress. The stickiness of that movement does, is very painful for large swaths of the population. And I do think we, we see this coming. So investing in retraining, helping people to understand what are the career paths, helping people to understand what jobs we think stay, what jobs don't, that's an important trend. And you know, historically, we always thought about this as sort of blue collar jobs, right? Get affected, machine jobs, robots, lines. But actually the AI thing gave us a big view into, uh-uh, this is white collar jobs, right? These are financial analysts. These are d different- Lawyers. Lawyers, right? Different roles that people perform that have a certain amount of AI enablement and a certain amount of AI disruption. And so getting ahead of that right now is very, very societally important. And you know, one of, one of the hardest things I think you do now is every, everyone has their kids come talk to you about, hey, what should I study in college? How should I think about my career? And I'm like, do what you love and make sure you add AI to that. Add data science to your curriculum. Okay, you love chemistry, great. Figure out how the next generation of chemistry happens, leveraging and using data science, AI, all these elements. And so I think that this becomes a part of everything that we do. Some AI skeptics, Sheila, would say, you know, we heard this about the metaverse, right? That, like, don't worry, the applications are just around the corner. It's not really, you know, it's, it's fair for gamers, but soon it's going to be pervasive. AI, I'm going to ask you, right? Okay, ChatGPT's fun when you want to know, like, who all the monarchs were in the history of England, right? But what are some real tangible enterprise applications that we can maybe already point to? I'll give, I'll give you a couple good examples, right? We, we have a company, Clarity, and this is, uh, you know, investors love this type of scenario because they started out, they built an AI platform that's capable of doing many things. Then they said very narrowly, we're going to do ASC 606. All the accountants out there were, will cheer. Everyone else will say, what is ASC 606? Revenue recognition for software companies, right? So how do I recognize revenue correctly every time? Contract integrity. How do I understand what's happening with every customer contract that I've signed? They do all these things automatically, I like to say, for the CFO, for the controller's team, where you have a perfection of your revenue recognition. Contract integrity, we used to just spot check contracts and say, okay, how long is this contract? Who got this specific you know, time period for free? What, what, what is the accounting and the actual integrity around all of these contracts? Now we check every single contract and we're able to say the information in these has this um, impact and this summary effect from, a, from an accounting perspective. And so things that are very, very tangible are important in this world. I agree with you, you know, just say the, the metaverse and, and the related kind of blockchain centric technologies, they were looking for a use case, right? They were always saying, oh, this is an amazing invention and we're searching for that use case. And one of the things we often say at TOLA is we like investing in real business problems that, that need technology solutions, not technology inventions looking for solution applicability. And so, so AI, I do believe, is 
is at that point where we're saying, no, we can change the way people work. We can deliver those new business solutions. All right, you mentioned Tola. Tell us more about your company, how it works, what do you invest in, when you found it, et cetera. So we're a venture capital fund. Uh, I founded the company uh, about 12 years ago, and that was after a reasonably long career at Microsoft. And I had co-led the company's enterprise strategy while running the database business. And we came into this conversation on, wow, the cloud is the next big platform shift. And we had you know, the, the required cloud versus Windows battle, right? Windows is the water we drink, Windows is the air we breathe, we used to say at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And so as you thought about that paradigm shift, I looked at the cloud, I erroneously said, this is the biggest tech trend that I'll see in my career, the biggest you know, in advancement that we'll see in enterprise software, enterprise computing. And so that, that tech trend was clear, that cloud would become like a utility, right? And what that utility would empower is all of this upstack innovation, all of these software companies being able to take advantage of this and developers being able to write new applications where we would have always-on solutions, access from any device, these solutions that are syncing in and through the cloud. And so once we had launched that for Microsoft, we launched Azure for Microsoft, I said, gosh, there won't be a trend like this in my career. Started a venture capital company, so early stage investing in order to invest in the companies that would take advantage of that platform shift and then bring that innovation out more broadly to how work gets done. So that was really the genesis of the firm. So it was a, a cloud-based, you're looking for enterprise software, cloud-based companies to invest in. Correct. That and was then the it sort of has, has morphed more into AI over the so, past so, 12 years? Yeah, and, and about a little more than a year ago, I sat down and I said, wow, I was really wrong, right? The cloud isn't the greatest enterprise trend of my lifetime. The cloud has a slowness to it because there's a physical nature, right? There's data centers, there's lift and shift of applications into the cloud. There's a whole rewriting to a new physical infrastructure. That cloud then birthed these, along with sort of the advances in transformer technology, birthed these AI models, these large language models, these GPTs, all of these things, right? Those models, now that's the new platform, that's the new utility that we have that now we see, wow, you can build on top of that. You can do that in such a fundamentally different way. And these are systems, software has always been A does B, right? The systems are you know, written and coded in this way. Now what we're saying is, hmm, this is non-deterministic software. Well, what does that mean? A doesn't lead to B. I give you information A, you can give me a variety of Bs, right? So the outcomes from that are intelligent in nature in that they have a set of different outcomes that come from that. Those non-deterministic systems help really change the way that we get enabled through these tech systems. So it's a totally new environment, a totally new game. This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. As one of the world's largest alternative asset managers, Apollo is generating investment-grade credit providing greater access to more resilient and diverse pools of capital, and helping to fill gaps in America's financial ecosystem. Learn more at apollo.com slash private credit. Can you talk a little bit more, Sheila, about the link between the cloud 
and AI, because I know your old company, Microsoft, for instance, their investment in OpenAI, which is the leading, or a leading, well, the leading AI company, um, is sort of connected to Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud. How does that work? So in order to train these massive models, right, people are talking about billions and trillions of parameters, right? In order to train those massive models, you need these pools of compute. You need other things as well, right? But, but it is a necessary requirement to have these buckets and buckets of compute that you're using to train these massive models. And so you had to have Azure and that partnership with OpenAI in order for OpenAI to come out with the models that they're coming out with. So they use the computing capability of Azure to build uh, the, the OpenAI assets. And so it's sort of a scale issue then, right? Or it's, it's both, it's the scale of training and resources and the amount of compute. Right. And then the other enablement that was very important was actually a Google enablement around transformer architectures, right? Which led us to these predictive engines of these large language models. And my understanding is that open AI, or AI I should say, artificial intelligence is a very expensive technology. Is that the case and, and why is that so? Ah, one person's expensive is another person's cheap. Okay. So I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I do think that these foundation models are given to two scenarios. They're given to mega caps and mega caps. What do you mean the foundation model? The foundation model, these large language models. Mm -hmm. okay. We've sort of stopped calling them large language models because we're moving into an era of multimodality. Oh, that's right? we no longer call them LLMs? We don't. We that don't. was like two months ago I was that calling was. I learned that. Okay, you gotta, no? You gotta keep the up, foundation Andy. model? <laughs> okay. But so, so the, the language was that first transformer invention around language predictions. Mm -hmm. Right, we're entering an era of multimodality. A lot of people have used DALI and some of the image generation tools, but those tools all started with language as the interface. Now you're starting to move into uh, voice, video, image, and language, and then those modalities can create any of the other modalities. Right, so I can go from language and say, hey, make me a video that's, that's you know, a panda riding on a skateboard. Great, it will, it will then take that and turn it into these different modalities, right? Which I think is a very important trend right now. But that is expensive then, right? So, so your question on expensive, right? We are seeing more of the transformer shift that we saw in language in video right now. So an efficiency in how, video is just a lot of images, right, in, in rapid succession. So we're seeing efficiency in how images and what's called computer vision get done. So there's absolutely an expense to all of this. So what's the expense? It's the compute that you use to train those models, that, whether that's the Azure platform, Google's platform, any of these platforms. It's the chips, right? You're hearing a lot about these H100s and you may have seen NVIDIA's results a couple times yeah. um, and, and other companies. But it's the talent, right, to really get you into that. It's also now the data, right? We're seeing purchases of data to train these models, be it um, you know, news so I can have recent information into my models, be it any sorts of data sources. But I think you'll see more pay for data scenarios as companies say, my data is very valuable. I shouldn't be giving this away for free. So all of those things together now put you in an environment where these models are at the current, at the current moment, you know, maybe a couple of billion dollars to train. Um, 
that's real money, but the benefit to the mega caps where they can both leverage their, that, that, that model, anytime you use it, it naturally uses the compute from their system. So they're making money on compute. Then they're leveraging it for other applications. So you recently have seen Office say, we're, we're gonna be intelligent. We're gonna have everything around us be able to re refer back to these AI models and bring pro more productivity to you. Well, you're making money above and below those foundation models. Now, people like Microsoft and Google, they have these partnerships. Um, Microsoft has a partnership with OpenAI, as you mentioned. Google is doing that internally. Meta is very committed to their Llama series of open source models, which a lot of people are using for different, for different tasks. And Amazon is also really committed to an open source environment. Of course, academia plays a big role. A lot of this innovation has been happening in academia over the years, and they're very, very given to open models, open transparency, publishing on the results of everything that they study. Right. So you'll have these mega cap closed models and these open source models. You talked about the mega caps. The executive order that President Biden signed about AI, some people suggest that it benefits those big companies at the expense of startups. What's your take? Um, my take, well, so the question's a great one because the number one thing we need to do is protect startups' ability to innovate. That is where all of the just really deep, interesting, we never even thought of that innovation will come from. I think the executive order actually did a really good job of sort of skating that line between saying, hey, we care about safety, we care about transparency of what's happening in these AI systems. The thing nobody talks about is that efficient and explainable AI is actually better AI, right? If we understand what's happening with it, we can actually say, hey, it's serving a particular purpose and it's serving that purpose better than a system that we don't understand is serving that purpose. So there's, there's a business benefit to explainable, transparent, responsible, whatever you want to call it, AI. And, and that is the principle that that executive order sort of laid forth. It said, hey, we want safety in our AI. It didn't say we want slowness, we want to stop. Like the US is, it's an important geopolitical asset to think about your AI technologists, your AI systems and your AI progress. So they didn't say slow down. They said, hey, we want safety. We want to know what's happening in these systems, especially over a certain size, which implicates the mega caps, not the startups. And then it said, we care about safety. We have a risk-based approach, right, where the things that have the highest amount of risk, uh, weapons, biological systems, things of that nature, they have the most oversight, which makes sense. And then they brought in the safety conversation on um, both safety of AI, but also privacy for citizens. So I actually think it was a good initial starting conversation. And I think commerce is a great place with NIST. Like you can go hire AI experts that have been doing this their whole life in order to help create those standards. Right. You worked at Microsoft for a number of years. What did you take away from working there and how sanguine are you about that company's prospects at this point? You know, I, I can't say anything, but you know, I have a huge amount of thanks for Microsoft for the lessons that I learned. I got a PhD in how software gets built, software goes to market, how a global company functions. I worked for Microsoft in India, which was an incredible experience for me as well, going back to you know, my, my, family's, um, my family's homeland. And, and so when, when I think about what I learned at Microsoft, you, know, you really learn at scale across so many different systems 
what, what do people want from technology? How do we build technology that helps consumers live their lives better? But for me, it was always helps enterprises be more efficient, do more of their work in a way that is very, very pleasing to the end user, right? You want that end user to be like, oh, this is amazing. I enjoy my software so much. I love going to my job because the software that's there actually enhances the experience of that work of that job. And you know, Microsoft was an incredible environment to go and learn in. Did you work with Bill Gates at all? And do you know if he's excited about AI? Um, I did. I worked with I worked with all the senior execs at Microsoft. Bill's a personal hero of mine in terms of just the way that he's crafted a life of giving back. I also worked a lot with Steve Ballmer and learned a lot about software go-to-market from Steve. I think that you know the fact that all of these people who are titans of our tech industry are so excited to be back at work because AI is happening in such a first-class way. All of them are saying, gosh, I really want to work on this. This is so exciting. We've been talking about this for decades, but now this is real. And this is the moment where we as humans say, wow, this stuff is intelligent, truly intelligent. And we love that, right? It's so, so exciting. So it's nice to see all of the original uh, you know, technologists coming back into the fold to work on AI, including Bill. Sheila Galati, CEO of Tola, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. This is At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll catch you next time. The production team for At Barron's is Ellie Ismailadu, Rebecca Bisdale, Kinga Rojak, Joe Lusby, and Laura Salaberry. The executive producers are Kristen Bellstrom and Melissa Haggerty. We'll be back with a new episode next week. This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. By providing companies with access to flexible financing solutions and partnering with management teams, Apollo is there every step of the way to drive positive outcomes for businesses and power economic growth. Learn more at Apollo.com.